Welcome to our last regularly scheduled Mystical Musings, October 15, 2017. Completing 15 years here in the Mile High City of Denver, today in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For joining us today, creating our community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths, I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit.
How wonderful to see you. This is a vision to me, seeing all of you, and so many of you are closest friends, and almost all of you people that we have met and liked on sight. So, uh, so you know, we got, we got this thing started by calling our friends. And people showed up 15 years ago, 14 years ago. And you stayed with us. And we so appreciate that. And you give us wonderful feedback so that we can understand what our musing meant to you. So it's meant the world to us, and you have meant the world to us, truly. It's been the center of our life for the last 15 years. Our life, except for the summer, has been about preparing the next musing. And it has been a glorious thing to do. However, we do get older, and Lawrence and I received the guidance at exactly the same moment. It's time to let go. And it was so clear that we haven't had any regrets or any doubts because it was there in the spirit. We could feel it and we could hear it. Not that we haven't grieved. We have grieved. I've been a teacher most of my life of one sort or another. I taught in junior high and high school, college, graduate school, and then at various universities. This is the classroom I have always prayed for because I can speak from my heart because you listen with your heart and you support that and you're so non-judgmental. And the beautiful thing is that you come not to uh, see a performance because this is not a performance. This is a form of communicating sacred knowledge. I have not in any moment held back anything from you. You can't do that on a college campus without the police showing up. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you some stories. <laughs> but really, what a wonderful thing we've co-created here. So again, you don't come to just listen, you come to participate. And we can feel your participation. So this is a miraculous thing for us. Absolutely miraculous. It makes our hearts sing. And would our bodies permit us, we'd keep going. However, we're 77 and 67, and physically, we feel it, right? Emotionally, no. Spiritually, no. Mentally, no. But physically, I have arthritis in my hands, so it hurts to play. I have arthritis in my feet, so it hurts to stand up. 
Lawrence has back problems, so he, and he's doing way too much lifting. But that's not why we did it. We did it because we were guided to. You're guided to. And I'm always in trouble if I don't listen to guidance. And it's a good thing because guidance is always there. And it's a good thing that we know our guides are accessible. So that at any moment, for any reason, we can call on them and they're there in a flash. So depending on grace is the way we live. Consulting our guides is the way we make decisions. And so that's what we've wanted to bring to you because there's clear guidance about what we are to present. And it is always something that comes out of our life together, our lives as a mystic couple, and out of ideas that come from our guides. So I guess the heavy lifting is really done by the guides. <laughs> They're the ones who, who really put it all together, and we're grateful for that. So today is really heartbreaking for us. Uh, because even though we know it's the right thing, we still grieve it. You know, this is a unique community. Standing where I am, I feel so much love coming to me. It is awesome. And the p deep peace and the profound love that you all bring to this is a blessing beyond measure. We love you, we thank you, we hope to see all of you in a different context. There's not so much heavy lifting. We love you dearly. And when I pray and when I meditate, I bring all of you in. So um, uh, I bring you in, put you in my heart, and then I give back to you. It's been amazing. It is such an amazing community. I've never been a part of anything like this. And it's so clear that it is a co-creation. We are all creating this together. And we can't thank you enough. And we can't tell you how much of a blessing this has been in our lives. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste.
Before we move into today's mystic portal, I have a few things I'd like to say. One of the great bonuses in loving and living with Myron these last 17 years has been inheriting his marvelous, wonderful, exceptional community of dear, open-hearted souls, many of whom are here today. I'm reminded of the late, great Maya Angelou's insight into the human character that people will not remember what you said nor what you did, but how you made them feel. How you make me feel is accepted and appreciated, loved and honored. Well, you've helped to give us direction and purpose. We, we have seen each other through many transitions and transformations, which for me have included my returning to the, my birth state, Colorado, and settling into the love of my life. Also, it has included the death of Myron's mother in 03, our journey of a lifetime to Italy in 05, the death of my sister prematurely at the end of 05, the death of my father right on the vernal equinox in 2012, and the death of my mother in December 2015. I came back to Colorado at 50 and I'm now pushing 70. Myron was then a youthful 60 and is now pushing a youthful looking 80. We are together fast approaching our 150th birthday. <laughs> You've allowed me the great honor of sharing the various offerings of mystical musings as they have evolved over the years including my abiding interest in language play and history, mystic moves, getting here now, space-time orientation, mystic gemstones, and of course, for this pessimistically inclined contemplative, incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. It has been my very great joy to collaborate with you, beloved Myron. <sighs> In our mystic, mystic ministry, I have always been deeply moved by your boundless compassion, deep wisdom, as well as your beautiful piano musings, your channeled music, that in its elegant and spontaneous simplicity and flowing lyricism always evokes a felt presence of the mystic heart. These truly have been the best years of my life. I like to say, other than being born, Myron was the best thing to ever happen to me. <laughs> It has been the fulfillment of a dream, a great honor, and a wonderful pleasure to share them all with all of you today as well as over these past 15 years, as well as those of you who are listening in podcasts around the country. Thank you all 
always and forever. Remember, some beginnings are endings and some endings are beginnings. Remember too, when you hear the bell, come back home. Come back home to your body. Whether that is to let go of some holding in your body, whether it is to breathe a little more fully, whether it is to adjust your body so that you're more comfortable, the energy is moving more freely, you're in a more open position. Whatever it means for you to come home to yourself. Today's portal is chaos, compassion, and curiosity. Hurricanes, floods, fires, mass murder, infestations, political and nuclear standoffs. <sighs> With chaos abounding outwardly and inwardly as well, What's a good mystic to do? <laughs> if the mystic path is about anything, it is about love and compassion, which have been abundant in the face of California, Las Vegas, Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico. There are myriad examples of ordinary people rising up extraordinarily to help their fellow citizens. Compassion seems to be part of our genetic code and is thus a great practice in these chaotic times. And of course, compassion is for others, but also for ourselves, especially those dark corners of our childhood woundings that now more than ever need the light of our love to help ourselves accept our woundings, consciously evolve, and thus deepen our mystic practices. Michelangelo said in late old age, I am still learning. And so curiosity, even about chaos, as well as compassion is a foundation for all of our contemplative work and will thus be our parting gift to our fellow mystics, curiously exploring body, mind, heart, spirit. Thank you for joining us today. Join me for three times in that great mystic mantra, ah. 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 ah.
Yum. <laughs> there is a sense of some chaos for many of us when endings come into our lives. Chaos and a little fear, even a little anger, and certainly with an ending, grief for what is leaving us. Whether that be the leaving of the musings in the form to which we have become accustomed, or of a friendship, a life, a way of being. Such completions challenge our sense of well-being and control, and they challenge us with a stretching of our hearts, opening to some shadow and anxiety, allowing what we might otherwise have wished different, accepting and finding the gifts that are always buried in grief and challenge. Now more than ever, we need to draw upon, to source from that which is greater than ourselves, that with which we are in union, the source of our mystic presence, a sangha, a community, greater than our physical presences, the community of mystics in the inner realms, wherein the eternal dwells, the sacred revels, and source provides us for unexpected support, sanctuary, and guidance. Just imagine yourself in your sanctuary space, right now, whether it be here or anywhere else, just imagine yourself in your sanctuary right now. Get curious about this inner image. What do you see? What do you hear? What are you touching? What is touching you? In your sanctum sanctorum, what are you feeling? You want to make this dip into source as multi-sensory as possible to stimulate your brain to open to spirit as deeply as possible. And then shine the light of your compassionate attention upon your immediate experience here, now, in this, noticing whatever arises, noticing whatever arises for your infinitely creative heart to take stock of and into which to breathe more fully. Chaos for the ancient Greeks was the first thing to exist, out of which emerged Gaia, Eros, and darkness, Mother Earth, love, and shadow, unconsciousness. We mystics are being called upon to bring our love to chaos, to get curious about what we might otherwise turn away from, to get curious about our conditioned reactions of holding our breath 
and avoiding feeling our fear. We want to get curious about finding our courage so that we can face and feel and let go of our fears, fulfilling our heart's desire. Practices, rituals, prayers, affirmations, all fundamentally contribute to our being centered and grounded in the midst of chaos. Some form of daily practice is essential in these chaotic times. A most vital practice is compassion, the truth of an open and empathic heart. In the face of our recent ecological and gun violence disasters, countless acts of compassion are magnified by the ubiquitous media, revealing a remarkable intimacy between people thrown together regardless of social trappings. It's an intimacy of being, if even for a little while, one tribe, that mystic sense of oneness. Scientists tell us that empathy is hardwired in our species out of the necessity to survive. Such altruism benefits not only the recipient, but also the giver, as literally the pleasure centers of our brains light up when we are helping one another. Reminding ourselves of our better angels is fundamental in the face of such transformative events, including especially what it is that we have in common. And so the mystic lives the promise of compassion and the resurrected body, our embodied existence resplendent with the rich gifts of the sensual world, the heights and depths of our mystic hearts, the miracle of our mobility and our distinctly human capacity for intricate learning cognitively, but also of movement and our capacity to navigate an increasingly complex and challenging world while holding the sacred mystic union, embracing the mystery while inhabiting daily life. The mystic provides sanctuary in our chaotic times, wisdom amid widespread anxiety, empowerment amid the sometimes angry darkness, and gratitude amid even the inexorable tragedies of our 21st century human existence. Sanctuary and curiosity is a form of psychic sanctuary. Sanctuary invites ritual and evokes presence. And sanctuary is to be had within each of us and amongst all of us, even from afar, beyond time and space. Remembering our gift from the virtual world is that there are over 40 podcasts on iTunes of mystical musings discussing always mystically relevant topics, as well as our offering Myron's uh, discourses and piano musings. And who knows? Who knows? You never know. After a nice long rest, what we might be inspired to offer as a special event. Of course, we'll let you know. <laughs> Calmness in the midst of chaos for most of us requires practice. Calmness manifests by practicing these pillars of mystic presence, silence, and stillness, as well as flowing embodied movements. 
Calmness is also achieved by practicing presence in the face of fear, of breathing more fully, four in, four out, and of letting go into the lap of God, whatever God is for you. I am here now in this with you. Our mystic mantra for the last several years, I am here now in this with you. Namaste. Well, if you did not know what chaos is, you know now. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere around us. The opposite of chaos is cosmos. So cosmic consciousness and then chaotic consciousness. This chaos takes place outside us and it takes place within us. And we can accept it because we know that for the mystic and in the mystic life and in that mystic striving, there has to be chaos of consciousness. Because it's that that makes us reach out It's that that knows we need something we don't have. So when I was teaching in the religion department at Princeton, I was teaching a class by my own class in the fall semester. And I found myself saying, wait, you know what there is to know about the literature. You can talk about God. You can talk about grace. You can talk about peace. But it's not the same as feeling it, as knowing it. And so from September of that year, I was like on my knees. I was teaching religion without knowing if it had validity. I was just teaching what other people had said. But I was on my knees 
for that entire semester. Every day. And saying, God, if you're there, please reveal yourself to me. I was miserable because I couldn't put anything together. It was all chaos. So I had taught at Bucknell a year before I was teaching at Princeton, and I had a very awakening student. And he came for a visit. And our, both of our wives were in New York City for a New Year celebration, so we had the day to ourselves. And we said, we need to feel your presence. We need to know, not guess, and, and we, we need to know. And we must have walked 20 miles that day with this kind of inquisitiveness. At the end of the day, we were pretty much in despair. We couldn't eat. We knew we weren't going to sleep. But when we came home exhausted, empty, there occurred for us the miracle of revelation because our hearts were opened in a way we never had experienced. And our consciousness was vast. And we were so excited because we knew in that moment something that we had believed but didn't really know, which is that God is love. We had that experience of love, and that's all that God was to us. We felt completely forgiven for everything. We felt that all we wanted to do then was to learn and to teach. And what we wanted to do was teach from our truth, teach from our hearts. We wanted to live a life of love. That's been my only goal since I was 29 years old. Live a life of love. And so, unlike teaching in a university where you teach from your head, I began to found, find people here, which is where I came after Princeton, who were loving and who were in their hearts and who were awakening and were coming to me and saying, you've got to teach us. 
and someone brought a copy of Seth Speaks and said, and he was a really brilliant guy, and said, I don't get it. Will you read this? And let me know what it is saying? And I said, of course I will. So I read Seth Speaks in record time, and then when I had finished it, I started at the beginning again. And I knew that that was something I needed to teach because for someone who doesn't know the literature, someone who doesn't know the history of spiritual thought, it's very confusing. And also, what we needed to know about Seth Speaks is how it's different from everything we've thought before and where those new ideas were coming from and to work with them. I was so excited and I had an instant class. And I've been teaching spirituality ever since. Teaching is my calling. Music is my calling. Living a life of joy and love and wonder and gratitude That's what I'm asked to do. And I can't do it otherwise. So looking at this class here, this celebration, it is miraculous to me because I can teach from my heart. And you come in and are in your hearts immediately. So that makes me think I don't need to hold anything back. I can give you the full scope of my learning and my experience. I started praying to find you pretty much since I started teaching. I really wanted to teach from my heart. And that requires people who are not afraid to go into their hearts and who rely on their hearts, who rely on that feeling in our hearts for all of our decision-making, for all of our joys, for all of our paths, I really could not abide one of my colleagues at Princeton. I loved him personally. But he wrote the book on love ethic that was everyone had to read. And when I said, 
do you teach from your love? And he said, what does that mean? So I thought about that when I was deciding to leave Princeton. I want to know love. I don't want to talk about it without knowing it. I want to know grace instead of talking about it. And so I prayed for this group where you give me permission to do that and where you all participate with me in your open hearts. In our day, we are really familiar with chaos. It is a chaotic world. And chaos just means everything is not ordered. It's not ordered. You can't tell anything about it and you can't contain it. So it is there in front of us. And it invites us. And it's up to us to say, don't think so. The opposite of chaos is cosmos. So cosmic consciousness is mystical consciousness. And I've, I've said in here many times, that's our job now, to bring cosmic consciousness into the earth. And every day, many times a day, to bless the world. So when we come into that sense of order and wisdom, it leads automatically to compassion. It takes us to our hearts. And our hearts are all the same. Our hearts are in the heart of God. And the mystic is the one who awakens to that and lives by that. So from our perspective, praying and bringing coherence into the field, is our job, is our job right now. I remember a time in my life when I was in one of my many dark nights of the soul, and uh, I went to the grocery store, and I saw this woman just beaming, and I thought, oh, and I felt peace from her, and I thought, what I believe and what I know, she's demonstrating. So I won't stay in the dark night of the soul forever. There will be redemption. 
And so with mystic consciousness, cosmic consciousness, and living from our heart, we make our contribution, our individual contribution to peace of the deepest sort. Now, when we look at the chaos going on in the earth, the natural ones, earthquakes, floods, fires, and the human-made ones, which are just as apparent, we know where that ends because we get to cosmos through, through chaos. If we don't feel that chaos within ourselves and that lack of knowledge, then it's very hard to move to the next step. Most of us are just like hanging by a thread when we pray for that. Cosmic thinking is ordered, it is open, it is probing, it is enlivening. And it brings to us, as we look at the chaotic world, a profound sense of compassion, profound when you look at the Puerto Ricans, when you look at Las Vegas, when you look at the floods and the hurricanes, the earthquakes, and we see how noble people are under those circumstances, they move into compassion and put that compassion to work. So it's been very touching to see how in Mexico, it's just the civilians who had to do a bucket brigade and pitch in. Same thing in Dallas, in the Florida Keys, and in Puerto Rico. And in St. Thomas and St. John. It brings us together. Compassion says to us that our hearts are opened by suffering and seeing the chaos, and it can be absolutely life-changing. Now, as I said, it takes inner chaos before you reach for a cosmos. So I can't help but believe that all the chaos we are going through right now ultimately <clears throat> leads us to order, to transcendence, to cosmic consciousness. And again, 
as bearers of cosmic consciousness, we have our job. And our job is really to be in our hearts and to live a life of love. We're doing our work right now because the love that's in this room affects the entire world. We don't give ourselves enough credit for the power we have in making a huge difference. So if we send love to the world, it's significant. We don't see the results of it, but we know we're connecting all over the world. And that gives us hope. It gives us joy, it gives us encouragement to keep going, following the path of love no matter what. Now, when we think about those in power who are saber-rattling, uh, saber who seem to be wanting war, our job is not to oppose them. Our job is to pray for them. Our job is to send them love even to the people we do not trust and who are clearly on a different journey from us. So we put love on it. We put love on <clears throat> the chaos <clears throat> and those who are making the chaos. So that's our role, to come from cosmos to inner chaos. So that's in the world. Internally, a couple of things bring chaos. So we, in ourselves, need to find that cosmos and this summer <clears throat> Lawrence and I came up on uh, a wonderful idea that we found in a couple of books we were reading by Mary O'Malley. Peg introduced us to the book, What's in the Way is the Way. And she had a different take on dealing with feelings. She says, if you have fear, feel it, but also stay separate from it and have a dialogue with it. Get curious 
get curious about what that means. Or if you feel some kind of unknown fear, and you stop and feel the fear, but get curious and talk to the fear, it will answer you back. I've had so many experiences this summer where I ask a simple question and I get so much information that comes from it, holy information. So curiosity is very important. It's also when we find ourselves having bad habits that we really want to break, but they don't want to be broken. If we talk to that part that is the addict in us and get curious and say, what's this about? Why do you need four donuts instead of one? What's going on here? And you get, I get answers from like beginning in my childhood and saying, oh, that's where that started, and oh, that's why it started. And what it meant there was that I wasn't getting the love I needed at home, so I was loving myself with donuts. <laughs> so getting that piece of information really helped me get out of the grip of those habits. So curiosity, always curiosity. It was curiosity that led me to be on my knees and pray. I need to know who you are. Now, the mystic never stops being curious, being curious about her own heart, being curious about her mind, being curious about her body, and dialoguing with them. And staying in a mystical place of curiosity, which is the place that allows sacred knowledge to unfold. So it's a wonderful technique. which I give to you with great joy. Today, my heart celebrates and my heart breaks. To think that I won't be looking out on the group of these people is heartbreaking to me. Heartbreaking. But we don't have the stamina at our age to keep doing this. I think you're all aware of how much goes into this. It's essentially the center of our lives. It's a lot of work. A lot of heavy lifting. Sven helps us with that, but Lawrence, you know, he makes the coffee, he goes to get the cookies, he gets the, the dry cleaning for the tabletops. And just to see him carry those crates out to the car just was heartbreaking to me. 
because his back can't stand much of that. So at the very same moment when I said, I don't think I have the stamina. Before I ended my sentence, Lawrence said, I don't think I have the stamina either. And in that moment, at the same time, we got clear guidance. It was a holy moment and it was guidance. And because it was blessed and sanctified the decision, we've had grief, but we've had no regrets because we're following our heart and following guidance. But you will never know how deeply I love you How deeply sad I am that this 15 years of joy, co-created by all of us, needs to come to an end. So again, we celebrate because we've done this for, you know, 14, 15 years, faithfully. That's saying something in our day and age. And we have the profound silence, sadness of missing your presence, your physical presence. You are always with us in our hearts, always. And I call on you when I pray and I call on you when I meditate and there you are with me. And the support is profound. So we so appreciate you and want you to know what inspires us to work so much and to look into our hearts because that's where the musings come from. And then when we do that and we're, we're meditating on the topic, the appropriate books appear the appropriate quotes. We don't have to look it up. It just lands and says, oh, okay, thank you. We'll do that. So thank you for all these years, and please know Lawrence and I are not skipping town. <laughs> uh, we will be around, and we will see, since everything in our lives come, comes from guidance, we will see where we're guided. So now we just have our arms, opening our arms, and our curiosity. The curiosity is what is coming in to replace this. Had no answers, but we stay alert to the voice of the divine and with all our hearts we will listen to that voice namaste
With the profound revolutions that technology is bringing to our world, oddly, educational transformation has so far been very limited until now. In 1984, when the first Mac was introduced, there was one computer for every 125 students. The hardware is now in place to bring forth transformation with more than five computers for every nine students. But a positive effect on test scores in math, sciences, and reading has so far been elusive. Rather than just cranking out questions and answers, software now has the ability to imitate the responsive role of a tutor, which has the measured effect of accelerating learning. Most education is based on the factory model, wherein children of the same age learn from the same teacher basically the same way. The extraordinary incipient effect of this new ed tech software is that the end of the factory model of education is now for the first time ever in sight. These developments have sparked investors' interest, including Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, who are aiming toward most American schools adopting these new educational approaches within a decade and from there worldwide. Also, the remarkable strides in artificial intelligence are greatly accelerating this process by allowing machines to learn about the students and their distinctive styles of learning while greatly enhancing our understanding of the science of learning. <clears throat> In contrast with Amazon's voice control system, Alexa, somewhat like Apple's Siri, in contrast with these two ladies is Alex, a so-called virtual peer who talks to children in a vernacular, many different vernaculars, that makes them feel more comfortable in class, thereby enhancing students' ability to learn. A remarkable human capacity for learning underlies culture, civilization, and especially daily life. Learning is development, is life. We need now more than ever learning enhancements to deal with the huge challenges humanity is now facing. EdTech with its rapidly generating personalized learning, one of the great measures of which is whether the student can respond with wonderment and awe. Is that fabulous? Just wonderful. They're starting to measure things like that, wonderment and awe. In some experiments, surprisingly and gratefully, screen time is limited to 25% of the day. Learning is being rethought on many levels in many places, especially to enhance collaboration. As one might expect, the Gates Foundation is also very involved, as well Facebook engineers work pro bono for disadvantaged students in 11 prototype schools to develop this personalized learning. And these designs are not meant to replace human teachers, but to radically enhance their ability to do their essentially important job of being on the front lines of the next generation. Even though we're focusing on this particular technology as incipient evidence, it is not really about the technology but about connecting people to the technology and using the tech to help connect humans with other humans. So ed tech and the new ways of learning that come with it is this month's candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. Shalom. Christ be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Adieu. Adios. Aloha.
Namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light, and dark, and of peace. As you are in that place in you, and we are in that place in us, we are all one, compassionate, and curious in the face of chaos. Namaste. Some beginnings are endings, and some endings are beginnings. Together, the mystic communities in the larger perspective have bent the arc of history, building a momentum toward a gentler and kinder tomorrow. I like to think of our humble community that we have done the same. And in so doing, we will live on in each of our hearts always. I am because we are. We are so lightly here, despite a level of illusion proffered by our senses. We are so lightly here. On the quantum level, we're mostly space, 99% space. And so current scientists corroborate what mystics have known for millennia. We are mostly space. We are the space within which the entire universe unfolds. The entire universe, the multiverse, the metaverse, it all unfolds in the space that we are. I am here now in this. The I am is pure awareness. Our location in the great mystery nestled in space-time is here, now. For the mystic, the direction is always inward. The answers are within. And then this, the context. I am here now in this, the situation, whether it be inner or outer. I am here now in this, which as mystics is always in relationship with God, whatever God is for you. I am here now in this with you, great spirit, Mama Gaia, mystic ones, avatars, angels, guides, ancestors, with each breath in and out, I am here now in this with you, fellow mystics. This realization is super califragilistic, expialidocious, <laughs> which actually originated in the 40s, not just by Mary Poppins. Recognizing the extraordinary unity inherent in the mystic perspective, one of the great mystics of all time, Mahatma Gandhi, walked barefoot a lot and often fasted, hence was subject to bad breath, and was thus a super callous, fragile mystic, hexed by halitosis. <laughs> we are so lightly here. Namaste. I am. I am that I am. 
Be still and know I am. Elohim. Yahweh. Jehovah. Adonai. Theos. Sophia. Kyrios. The Great Spirit. The Gentle Whisper. The Alpha and the Omega. Christos. The Holy Spirit. Mother Mary, the Almighty, the author of life, the author of peace, the light, Allah, Lakshmi, the bread of life, the cornerstone, eternal life, the faithful witness, the way, the truth, the life, Tzaddik, Creator, Kuan Yin, Brahma, Tianju, Dios, the Goddess. the Timeless One, the Mystic One. 